The opinions expressed by the guests and contributors of this podcast are their own and do not necessarily reflect the views of Cornell University or its employees. Welcome to the Inclusive Excellence Podcast. May is Asian and Pacific American Heritage Month, a month that honors and celebrates Asian American and Pacific Islander identity, also known as AAPI. While there are many events that recognize this special month, it is important to acknowledge that this time feels different. The wave of anti-Asian violence and racism that has negatively impacted the community is something that cannot be dismissed. We continue our series called AAPI at Cornell, where you will hear the stories of Cornell staff members in their authentic voice, celebrating their heritage and the joys of being Asian and Pacific Islander, while also naming the very real concerns that they experience in this moment. My name is Toral Patel. My name is Anthony Sis. And you are listening to AAPI at Cornell. We continue the second part of our conversation with Perdita Das Humphrey, Jamie Hom, Aaron King, and Carolyn Chow. All right, welcome back. I want to thank you so much for being here for part two of our conversation. And I want to start this portion of our conversation with a discussion of how the AAPI community has been impacted by recent events. And, you know, by recent events, I just want to be blunt and state that all of the violence that Asian Asian Americans are facing here in the United States. And so I just want to start maybe just a little bit more broadly with your opinions on what it means to be Asian or Asian American here at Cornell, in Ithaca, or in the U.S. at this moment. So I think for me, this is a question of like, you know, seeing myself in very like, you know, macro level, that's Cornell and that's like Ithaca to like the greater micro, macro to the micro, which is Cornell and Ithaca and then to the macro, which is like the U.S., I think I'll, I'll speak upon like my experience, like in the U.S., because I think something you're just hearing in the news a lot and just like different stories. And I would say what's happening in the U.S. right now with a lot of like hate crimes happening against Asian and Asian American communities, especially Eastern Asians and the elderly, that's really hard for me to hear. I think me being more of like a younger generation and sort of this higher education community in a way compared to the U.S. It is sort of like a safe space and just like at large, like in the U.S., I think it's like a privilege for me to say like I myself am scared, but I am scared for like my grandparents. And I think about, you know, my grandfather, he is in New York City. He has dementia so he doesn't really know what's going on, like doesn't really understand this pandemic, doesn't understand how, you know, hate crimes that we're seeing has come up because of the pandemic and narratives being put out there of Kung Fu flu and just these really degrading remarks spread throughout like social media and like people's way of like talking and talking about the COVID-19 um, global pandemic that we are in. So like specifically for me and sort of like, what does it mean in this moment? It In the U.S., it's disheartening for me. It's fearful, especially for my family members and thinking at my grandfather, who is it possible that he could be attacked on the streets just because of the color of his skin, of his physical attributes and him being helpless and not really understanding why. And that is just disheartening. 
So I guess that's the word that pops out in my head to speak about this moment in history and this moment in time. I really agree with that, Jamie, in, in terms of just that if we let any group be discriminated against, it makes it okay to discriminate against anybody. And when it translates to actual violence and the just any time I open the news, you know, and I see like an article that happened, you know, where elderly Asian person is just like walking down the street, you know, and then like getting punched from behind and then kicked it. I mean, like some pretty serious violent acts that are not, you know, aren't necessarily like something that you'd think about necessarily walking down the street. But, you know, it's interesting because I think Jamie probably like my mom's like 82 years old. She walks three and a half miles every day. And I am terrified every day actually (laughs) for her because I think, I don't know, maybe the wrong person in the neighborhood could just decide to just like mow her over. I mean, I just, obviously, that's something that I think about. That is something that thankfully I haven't really worried about in terms of like physical safety in Ithaca and in central New York. But this is like an added thing that because my mom is elderly, because my niece lives in New York City, you know, is something that just really resonates in terms of it actually like affected my ability to focus on my work. You know, like during the week of the Atlanta shootings, that was just a week that I can very clearly remember being like, are you kidding me? Like, I really just can't focus right now. Like there's just a lot of heartbreak. There's something also different that fear, that kind of fear, it's nebulous, right? It's like, you don't know where it's coming from. You don't know if it's like, it's just there. And that's, that I think can sometimes be overwhelming. And I think in terms of being Asian at Cornell, my history and my family's history with Cornell is so positive being Asian and at Cornell. And that has been my personal experience at Cornell in terms of really, again, being very welcomed in opportunities to talk with people, to do recruiting, to think about the DEI space. You know, so that's super positive. So it's it's just, it's interesting and it's hard to make sense of, you know, like, and I realize as I'm like, during this whole podcast, I've been like, I'm just so confused, which, you know, like is really just a matter of, and, and I'm happy to admit that because I, I'm trying so hard to make sense of it, but it's, it's a challenge, right? Because we get these messages, right? Especially since last year, especially if, you know, paying attention to kind of like everything that's going on with, African-American and Black people. Just thinking about like, it can be really just like, how do you make sense of it when you get institutional messages that are like, this is a behavior that we abhor, we are not going to support this. And then it's just really hard to make sense of because it's confusing about kind of like, okay, well, I'm gonna try not to be fearful, try not to be scared. And at the same time, it's kind of unavoidable. So that's that's what I mean about the confusion piece. And I, I think that can sometimes be a little overwhelming because you don't have control over any of it. And at the same time, I think it's also made me really experience maybe understanding, like while I know I can never understand anybody else's experience, there have been times that I'm like, okay, this is what it feels like to just go outside your house and someone might hit you in the back of the head and you wouldn't even know it. You know, like this is what that fear feels like. And that's the big bummer not to totally go negative on that. Mm-hmm. But, you know, like that sense of confusion, I think is what's been really salient for me in the past year. 
I think confusion and overwhelmed are two really good words to use. I think as someone who, you know, the world doesn't see me as Asian, right? So it's very interesting to kind of like find, and I always hold both those truths that I don't experience anti-Asian violence, that my East Asian friends and loved ones and families and the people of the world do, right? Like Jamie and Carolyn, the way you experience it, the fear you have for your parents, it's not that. And I also have firsthand experience of how it feels to be othered. For the longest of times, I had a Bangladeshi passport, right? So having a passport from an Islamic country, like what does that mean? So it's been a very confusing and an overwhelming time. Disheartening, I think, is also a really good word of putting it, like waking up every morning and seeing one 78-year-old person getting hurt, another 80-year-old person getting hurt, and both my parents are in their 70s. And just for looking the way you look, right, we're all trying to survive this pandemic. And to think that there are some folks who have, on top of that, constantly attacked and have not been allowed to feel safe in their neighborhoods, walking to the grocery store, I think that has just been overwhelming. And I think that I've always kind of like tried to make peace with this idea, like it's not about me, I want to be able to show up in solidarity and hold the fact that this is hard, it's breaking my heart. And even like, you know, uh, Thoral and I were talking about this earlier, like in right now with what, what's happening in India and Bangladesh, I also feel a certain level of guilt, I think, being here in the United States, being safe, being in Ithaca and being at Cornell is a bubble. You know, it's not that, you know, everything is not perfect. Everything is not rosy. And I'm safe. My family is safe. I'm fully vaccinated. No one yells at me or tries to attack me for just walking down the street. And I can't say that for the people I left behind to quote unquote, make a better life for myself. And I think that's something that I've been really holding the last couple of days of like, I'm fully vaccinated. My husband just got his second shot. We're talking about reopening. We're planning for commencement, right? And every morning I'm waking up and someone I know from back home has passed away. So it's it's just, yeah, confusing and overwhelming, I think is a really good word. And I think feeling guilty and feeling like understanding the privilege I hold and being able to say that, you know, the only thing I'm feeling right now is guilt. Like, yes, I think all the words that you use, they all resonate, right? Like Jamie, I know you said disheartening, right? And Carolyn, it's confusing and overwhelming. Perdita, you added that. And I think like all of those words resonate with me. And I think it's okay that we feel all of that. I don't know that like you need to feel one or the other. As all three of you were talking, I was like, oh my gosh, I feel that too. And I feel that too. And, and I feel all of it. And so if all three of us are feeling that, I can imagine, you know, how just even our Cornell community, Ithaca community, and then in the larger US, how many people are also feeling multiple emotions at the same time. So Let's talk through a little bit about like, how have you, how have each of you taken care of yourself through these traumatic times and, and through this trauma? I think for me, you know, I've come to the conclusion and I think maybe I always knew this, but then someone said at one time that identity development is like lifelong. And I think that's something with my own Asian, Asian American, Chinese American identity that I'm constantly trying to like educate myself on, reflect upon. But then with what's happening in the U.S. right now and knowing that like, you know, the racism that especially East Asians are like facing, it's trauma. That racism is trauma. 
And I think that's something that was recently shared with me that I am trying to navigate and impact myself of just understanding my Asian Asian American history within the United States, my own Chinese American identity and racism that I have experienced for, you know, my physical attributes and just who I am as a person and people making assumptions about me or saying things about me that is degrading. But then also like on the flip side, like me knowing like my privileges of being like educated, having the opportunity to educate myself on my Asian American history. But I think throughout all of this, and especially trying to navigate that racism is trauma, is my support systems. Whether these support systems are my own family members, my parents, um, as we're kind of like sharing these stories, checking in on each other, I would also say taking care of myself of my friends that I have in my community, whether they are some colleagues across like Cornell and Ithaca, friends that I have in other cities and other places in the U.S. I think those are the people, those are my support system that have really helped me kind of been navigating this whole past year and just life in general in my identity development as an Asian American woman. So Jamie, thank you so much for sharing that all because that resonates really a lot with me. What I've found um, being sort of, uh, it's so funny because just this past couple of like the past couple of weeks, I started to sort of not feel completely new to Cornell, which is really awesome. It's an, it's an awesome feeling to get to because I spent the first two years being here, just being like, what the heck, you know? And so, so, you know, for me, a lot of it has been about thinking about building my friend and chosen family network locally, right? And so, I mean, I have to say, like, being at Cornell has been amazing for that because I've been able to really connect with like-minded people who want to have these conversations and who want to really kind of think about, like, well, what is it that we can do about this? And so when it comes to self-care, being able to talk with and make friends with people who we can have these conversations with, like on this podcast, which is amazing, you know, because that storytelling, that sharing of your story and your background, it's cathartic and it's also very validating, I think, in some ways. And so I really appreciate being able to do that. So that's something with getting together with friends and really reaching out and, and making those friends and those relationships happen. And during the pandemic, it was kind of challenging, right? But even if it's like a 7.30 in the morning Zoom coffee, you know, I've been doing that with a friend just to connect because that was the only time we could really, you know, make that. So it's sort of like trying to figure out like, how, how do you schedule things and how do you make time? Because that time is so necessary. And then also just really, really reaching out to my family it has been really huge. That worry that I have for my mom and then also both my nieces and then also just taking care of my own physical. And, and I'm very fortunate too. My, my wife is super supportive, amazing, and really interested in learning and hearing more and really understanding. So I'm very fortunate in that realm and that we talk about it every day. <laughs> like there's just, you know, I mean, and that's something that has really helped quite a bit. And then of course, there's the sort of like healthy food <laughs> piece, right? But amazing food, healthy and amazing. And then also just sort of, you know, having the fortune to be able to take things like go the physical route, you know, in terms of like working out like a couple of months ago, I actually started learning how to kickbox. And I was like, I just need an outlet 
because I can't really work out the way I used to, but I've got to do something to get this energy out that I can't really get a handle on. And then also, I think I'm very fortunate that I happen to have a supervisor at Cornell who really just really wants to understand me and support me in all of my identities that I'm very open about, you know, because I feel like I can be at my best when the struggles that I'm enduring are being valued as actual struggles, you know, like she understands that. And so we have a lot of conversations about how she's like, I have your back. Like I will block and tackle whatever is necessary to help you. Because if I can keep you safe and being able to be whole in your job, then what you're giving back is all the more. You know, and so that's been really definitely key to my, I mean, I, I would say in the past couple of months, definitely like key to the survival of just sort of like making sense of all the confusion and not knowing exactly how to position myself. Something you said, Carolyn, about the sharing of the stories piece really resonated with me. I had one of my student staff members share this amazing like comic strip from NPR recently about numbness and the large numbers that we are kind of like dealing with during COVID, right? Like after a while, what's the 500th death versus the 1000th death and how numbness becomes a mechanism and a way to kind of combat that is to provide those spaces for individual stories. Our brains have a hard time comprehending like those really large numbers, but can start focusing in on individual stories. So that's something that I have been kind of doing too, is like really relying on my village just just to say <laughs> for like so like how I describe whether it be my family or my chosen family I feel super and I'm not saying this just because Aaron's on the call but I am very lucky to have amazing work colleagues who just step in and I've only been in this role as so I started a new role in the middle of this pandemic because that's how we do it and oftentimes they've like in in like a span of like seven months they've kind of understood what I need even before I say it. So I feel very privileged and lucky that way. And I think that has been an amazing part of just being here. And I have a small number, but a very like near and dear to my heart number of friends who I connect with for different things. And that's, and then that's something that I've been very intentional about. Like I have my one friend that's like my hangout buddy. I have another friend that's like my racial justice warrior buddy. Like it's like, these are all like different ways that I have tried to feed my soul and uh, whether, and I also like, you know, feel being able to take advantage of outside. So being on a live on position, <laughs> not left Cornell since March, 2020. So I'm looking forward to like being able to travel after my husband is like fully vaccinated, just whether it's just being able to get away from it, like as much as I love this town and love this campus and making plans for summer has also been, again, I feel like it's a privilege and it's also been what's been keeping me going. So Erin, if you want to talk a little bit about what it means to you to be kind of in the space that we're in from a Cornell perspective or um, in the larger United States perspective with what's happening within the Asian community, and then just how you have taken care of yourself through the trauma. Yeah, thank you. Um, that's a small question. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Yeah, I think I think a few things. You, you know, if, if we combine combine COVID, we combine um, a lot of the racial incidents that have been ongoing for 
many different communities and they've just overlapped and come more to the forefront for other folks too. What Perdita said on compartmentalizing sometimes, I want to be in some conversations and stay in those. And then sometimes I want to talk about nothing related to anything important whatsoever. I want to talk about something just ridiculous and irrelevant. I need to have that too. And also have spaces of sharing joy and these pieces and not saying like, uh, only look on the bright side, like not that. I think I used to live in that. I'm saying like, have both. Both is important and being able to take that rest and not feeling like we, oh, we have to do this. Like anytime that I see this stuff now that says you have to do this thing, like I'm not about, even if it's from a good place, I'm not about that. So me, I've slowly begun being okay with, I will work on my own terms. I will hear folks out because if they're critiquing something I'm doing, I need to listen to that. But, you know, even something as small as sometimes I leave my video off for some meetings. Like I didn't want to be rude at some points, but I realized, hey, I just need this. I, I need to not look at the screen. I need to be able to eat my food or whatever. And I'm okay with that. Um, not trying to be rude, but that's really small, but doing things like that and being okay because it's what I need has been helpful and getting outside and making sure that I'm still taking time to run, even though I need to do these other things, because that's something important to me and reaching out and connecting with folks beyond all these emails that we do. And that's something, you know, I'm trying to do because the human connection is important like this space even i know it's for the podcast and stuff but just even being in this space i'm not in this space very much this is great right we need this so those are some of the things i'm doing yeah i think i agree with a lot of a little bit of what everybody said right and it's it's you know taking care of myself first so that i could take care of others around me i think that's that's an important component for me and that's whether that's to Aaron your point whether it's finding joy where i can and it's okay for me to enjoy an afternoon with my kids somewhere right whether if we go hiking or whatever it is uh you know go to the waterfalls or even just go get ice cream for a half an hour it's okay to do that and at the same time, acknowledge what's happening in this country and know that people are hurting. I think you have to hold both truths. You can't just, it just can't be about one or the other. So I agree with, with a little bit of what all of you said. So just as we wrap up this conversation um, and just knowing that what each of us is facing right now, how do you find the inspiration or where do you find the inspiration to keep this conversation and this momentum to keep it going? This is going to sound very cliched, but my students, I will say this, like, I think I, we have this role, like for, for me, like having this student affairs, student focused kind of role, or even being at Cornell, even when we don't directly interact with students, ultimately we're trying to create this space for students to learn, grow, be challenged and get the support that they need in and outside of the classroom. That's essentially what all of us are doing. And as cliched as that sounds, I think that's kind of like where I find my motivation when um, just even if it's one out of my 300 who descends, who comes to like the processing space I host or the one person that writes in their application that 
you know, I, I was with Perdita and Bulge and, and I feel empowered to be a woman and this is why I'm applying for this job. So like when I read little things like that as uh, they're not little for me. Yeah. And I think it's really important that there is, I, I think Aaron, as Aaron said, there aren't a lot of these spaces and there aren't a lot of us who are in these roles. And I think oftentimes like when I feel discouraged, I know that what keeps me going, what what actually like motivates me to take care of myself so I can keep going is to show the next person who's immigrating from Bangladesh to be like, hey, you can get to wherever you want to get to. And I want to make sure that I am creating this rich space for you and giving you all the tools that or as many tools as I can uh, to help you navigate this wacky world at times. And I think, honestly, that's what keeps me going. I'm, you know, you'll hear me say like, yeah, I can't wait for you all to go home. And then in the middle of July, I'll be like, come back. Yeah. <laughs> come back. So yeah, I think, I think it's my students. And on a personal note, I have a 10-year-old nephew and a six-year-old niece. And my niece uh, sent me a picture of her wearing a sari for Bengali New Year. And that's also what motivates me. It's, I think it's just kind of passing on or when she says things like feminist and when she says, you know, you can't call these band-aids nude colored because they don't match my skin. And so when she like recognizes stuff like that, I just feel so proud. And again, those are like the kind of the moments that make me go, yep, that's why I do what I do. I think kind of going off that it's, it's finding like the words that come to my head is like balance and duality that to keep going. It's like knowing for myself is like, okay, when am I like depleted and I just need to like zone out or step away? You know, if shut off my zoom screen as Aaron like did before and be like, Hey, like, I just can't be on social media. I just can't be on this video and fully engage because like they're like the news has just like impacted me again. It's like that trauma, that racism is trauma that I'm dealing with. So I think it's like that duality that there are times that I'm struggling and giving myself that space to replenish. But I also think like what keeps me going is being engaged and listening to kind of the news and being informed, whether it's like the negative news, but also I think there's also news out there that's uplifting and empowering and hearing people's stories. So being engaged like that way and just like feeding off that energy keeps me going. I would say especially at Cornell, I, you know, for me, representation is really big. And especially as a staff member, I know compared to like student population, there is not as many staff members who are representative to the amount of students we have on campus. And I have seen this like with some students that I've engaged with in different spaces that I have been part of and have the opportunity to be part of that Cornell. Um, and them just like talking to me and hearing like hearing their stories and them like reaching out to me coming by and just dropping up to my office just because, just because they want to like get to know me as a human person, but then also like culture does come up in their stories. And that is also really empowering for me to be like, wow, like that representation of like, I guess like me just being me, that we're able to connect with something that I'm saying, something that I'm doing as a professional staff member within student affairs and being like in a student facing role um, and having students like see that about myself and how it I hold myself and maybe stories and things that I'm sharing with them that they can relate to and them confiding in me or like wanting to know more and sharing with me like their own stories, especially if they also identify as Asian, Asian American. 
So that I would say is going kind of echoing what Predita says. It's like those stories that keep you going and it's exciting as much as sometimes you're just like, I need to step away from sometimes like students because I'm exhausted and tired, but at the same time, like engaging with them and getting to know them as humans. It's beautiful. <laughs> Jamie and Perdita, it's so awesome hearing you talk about your student services roles. That's actually the I was in a student services role before I came to Cornell, but now being in human resources, I have to say, you know, part of what's really kept me going and keeping that momentum going is because the HR community has really taken this, you know, Mary Opperman has really been an incredible leader in like, we need to have these conversations and not only these conversations, but also like the HR community actually gets together as a community regularly. (laughs) And we've gone, thanks to Anthony and Toro, like really talking about like each of those see, learn modules, (laughs) the the advancing DE&I at Cornell, right? And actually witnessing and seeing people in the HR community that I work very closely with, like really engaging because the reality is, is like, yeah, I'm pretty exhausted talking about it a lot it's one thing to sort of like connect with people around the story who really get the story, but then also just being exhausted from like, okay, here's the story. And then being asked like, why, you you know, like, it's like those, those community gatherings, like even though they're over zoom, uh, y'all do such a great job, like in engaging people in that conversation such that there have been times that I've kind of just stepped back and been like, I don't have the energy to do this today, but I'm so glad this is going on. The other thing too, is this is totally not, you know, like full on truth here. I've just really, you know, when we talked about doing this recording, I mean, I've just spent the last couple of weekends totally catching up on all of the Inclusive Excellence podcast <laughs> like episodes. I mean, and, and seriously, just really even hearing about other people's experiences and sort of what they do how they get through, how do they have that inspiration? And like constantly hearing those stories in a way that's just like, you know, I I shared with Anthony that I was listening to an episode actually. And I was in my garden doing, like doing fist pumps and being like, preach, yes. Like, yeah, like there was just so much alignment, I think with what I've been feeling and experiencing that that's been really helpful for me to want to keep the conversation going. And it, it full on made me really interested in being on one of the podcast episodes too. Cause I was like, Oh, maybe I can, maybe I can help with others whose voices aren't being given the opportunity to be heard. And so that's really helped me is just the momentum that the community has been able to kind of keep moving. And that's in the HR realm. Cause I, I'm not really involved in student services, even though student services is always in my heart, right? The student experience, but you know, staff, like we are a giant part of this Cornell community and we're a giant part in being given this wonderful, amazing opportunity to share our stories and to have a positive impact on each other such that we can give that positive impact to students, to faculty, to the research, to the work, to the, I mean, it's, it's, it is all very much culminates in positivity when we can kind of depend on each other to keep it going. And not once have I ever felt like, oh, Carolyn, like, what's your opinion about this? And speak for everybody on that. Like, that's just not been the case here. It's really been like, what do you think? What's your perspective? Okay, you don't want to talk about it now? 
Let's figure out how to bring it back into the conversation later. There's a lot of room that's given there. And, and I really appreciate that, not just around my racial ethnic identity, but also as somebody who's out as you know lesbian. And that's just been a really positive experience to think about like voices are being shared, right? And given the opportunity to be heard. So like being able to actually like access that and other people's stories has been tremendously meaningful. Yeah, a lot of the things mentioned, absolutely. The little glimpse of growth or the little glimpse of being able to be a part of someone's story, um, helping them succeed, those sorts of things, whether students or sometimes even if there's a way to help staff or even folks outside of campus. I've really enjoyed connecting to folks outside of this kind of higher ed space that we're in because we we're in these conversations so often that often it's the whole choir sort of thing. And, and then whenever I'm in a related conversation outside, it's like, yeah, there are people at all levels and you feel like you can really speak into that space. And, you know, again, I have to make the choice for myself, how much I'm going to be willing to just listen and also understand where someone's coming up, meeting someone where they're at. But I have that, I try to have that patience because I remember where I was at and I still am at on a lot of things because no person knows all the things. Um, We're always continually learning. So I think that's so important to be able to have that patience and recognize we have a privilege of being in this space, even though we have our challenges from our different identities, we're in this space talking on a podcast right now with a job at Cornell, right? We have to own that and say like, even the ability to have the language that I use and think about all of these frameworks, et cetera. I had to learn that somewhere, even if I had experienced it before, I had to learn how to even talk about it and think about it. And so sometimes I get frustrated with something that I would see on social media and I'm trying to get a little bit more rid of some social media in my life talking about the self-care, but it's like, how could you say that? You know, that's stupid, et cetera. But then I'm like, I disagree, but I get it. The culture is very strong. I actually lived in that. So that's important to me. And also a little bit to what Perdita said earlier on her nieces, nephews, like for me, um, two daughters growing up and just seeing them and trying to pay attention, like, how am I taking part in socializing them? What are they learning just default? How did they talk about race and identity and just difference in general, um, being a woman, being mixed race, like all of these, how are we having that conversation and just teaching them to be caring, have empathy for other folks, right? What a great message to end our conversation on empathy for other folks, right? And I think that applies to everyone beyond just, you know, the kids that we're teaching, but all of us individually as well. So I want to thank each of you for joining me today in this amazing, fabulous conversation. Thank you for being vulnerable and sharing your stories. That's it for part two of this four-part special series. For the latest updates on diversity, equity, and inclusion at Cornell, as well as resources to honor and celebrate Asian Pacific American Heritage Month, be sure to visit diversity.cornell.edu. My name is Toro Patel. My name is Anthony Sis. Thank you for listening to AAPI at Cornell.